feet. Man, that song gets me every time. I can't listen to that song. I, I didn't even remember it was in that set. So I was like, they did it to me again. There it is. I'm crying on the front row. I got to get up here and teach. I got to talk about stuff. I can't be distracted by true emotion or tears. Who would want to be genuine? I don't want to do that. Come on. I know for me, that song has so much power. I God count Abraham's faith as righteousness in this covenant that is made. And it goes, and he says, to the number of the stars will be who I will bless through your family. So when you read that, it's not just about us. It's about this promise that God has been saying through generations already that we are being accounted to. And so they've been through, and we are going through similar things. And it just makes me go, I can trust that. God is bigger than anything that we can come up against, no matter what. So it just makes me want to tell my kids and be like, it's okay, God's bigger, right? Just sing a veggie sales song. God is bigger than the boogeyman, all right? So, um, cool. Well, we're in John chapter 10, the end of John chapter 10. And I, I'm not going to lie, this is a shorter section, um, but I feel like this is one of those sections that when I, when I started, like most times, I thought I knew what I was going to teach, and then by the end of it, I was like, yeah, that's not what I'm going to teach you. <laughs> I'm going to teach uh, something different because I've learned so much in the last few days. And of course, every day is different. I love that question. You guys still getting asked that question pretty regularly? I get it asked all the time. I don't feel like I have any better answer yet. Uh, how are you doing? You get this question? <laughs> like, how are you doing? And you're like, you want the half a minute answer? Or do you want the like full answer, you know? And all I keep saying is I'm taking it a day at a time, one day at a time, right? And I'm amazed how many people are just, yeah, yeah. That's all we get. That's what Matthew would tell us anyways. That's all we get. We're going to talk about Hanukkah, Day of Dedication, Festival of Lights today. And for some of you, uh, that is like a concept or a holiday or something you've seen celebrated that you have no concept of what it really is about. I'm not going to give you an immense detail, but I'm going to give you enough to say that that's the context of a little bit of what we're talking about today. But before we get to that, I want to remind you of why we're talking about the Festival of Lights, why we're talking about the end of chapter 10, and why this kind of Hanukkah, this day of dedication, is the context that John chooses to record in his gospel of this interaction with Jesus and those that are attending this. It's partly it's because of where we've come from. And so John has shown Jesus... Um, in a, a number of festivals. The first, he revealed, Jesus reveals himself as the better Moses during the festival of the tabernacles. Now, what's, what's key about this is the better Moses is the concept that Moses brings the, the Ten Commandments and then introduces the tabernacle, which is the presence of God, right? So Jesus reveals himself as the better presence of God, right? He's like, hey, I'm the better conduit to understanding who God is, all right? That's John chapter 7. And so, he, you know, they're reading this going like, hey, you know, he's Festival of Tabernacles is all about this tabernacle, the place that God dwells, during the Sabbath. All right? And so Jesus does this thing during a day of rest that's supposed to be recognizing God's authority, God's plan, God's power. And what he does on that day of rest is he heals this blind guy. And that day of rest that should be just for God is it's almost a sign that maybe Jesus is God and he can do what he wants, right, on the Sabbath. And then the last one is we're going to talk about today is now he's, he's the miracle in the presence of God during the day of dedication. Now, 
why that's something you may need, or like read that and you're like, I have no idea what that means. Exactly. That's why we're going to talk about the Festival of Lights, Hanukkah, Day of Dedication. You need to know that. So you need to know what John's trying to get to. Now, if you hear the Day of Dedication, Hanukkah, Festival of Lights, all three of those things have different ways. We, the Jewish form is, you know, basically Day of Dedication. The Geodeo-Christian now, those that celebrate it now, would call it Hanukkah. Josephus, who was a historian that wrote about it in the first century AD, called it the Festival of Lights. Okay, so that way we have all three names for one thing. All right, so if that's not confusing enough already, that's where we start. Now, why this is a celebrated thing is because in 200, basically the second century BC, before Christ, before crucifixion, easy way to think about it, there was a Syrian king who controlled Jerusalem. And when he controlled Jerusalem, he took over the temple and basically made it illegal to practice the law. He made it illegal to practice the dietary things, circumcision, to make offerings. In fact, he put the Greek gods themselves inside the temple and desecrated it. And so a family, Maccabeans, if you've never heard of the Maccabean Revolution, the Maccabeans as a family led a revolt that eventually recaptured this temple in Jerusalem and gave themselves back religious kind of freedom. And when they got the temple back, they had to consecrate it. They had to clean it out. They had to remove everything. And one of the things that's in there is this candelabra. It's a, it's a type of massive candle, all right, that has this really cool eight-candle, important kind of, I would say, symbolism to what's going on inside the temple. It would sit to one corner, and it would basically stay lit forever inside the temple. It would never go out. And the Levites, the priests, were responsible for creating and consecrating a special oil that would sit inside of this lamp. And that lamp itself was supposed to like, kind of be the representation of God's presence in the normal catacombs of the temple. Well, one of the first things they did when they consecrated and kind of cleaned out the temple is they found this lamp, and they, and they brought it out, and they set it up, and they lit it, but they realized they only had one day's worth of oil, and it took eight days to make it. And so they lit it, and the miracle goes that it lasted until they made new oil. It was able to last for the eight days. And so the celebration, of course, you know, that God is with them, and that his presence is there regardless of the oil and it, it kind of confirmed this incredible movement and believe it or not it's a longer celebrated holiday than christmas than the crucifixion or the birth of christ it's been around for almost 200 years longer than that and it's one of those incredible amazing things that god did so this festival now that is, of course, a couple hundred years later in the temple courts is a seven-day festival. Imagine that. And we've, now this is our second time that we've seen. They have seven-day parties. We need to bring this back, people. This needs to come back. All right? I, don't, I feel like this would just be awesome, Right? We just need to have seven-day parties. But it's important to know all that history in order to know the context of what Jesus is walking into. 
into the seven-day celebration. They would have a real big assembly on the first day and the last day. It doesn't say which day this is, but there seems to be a large crowd. I would say it'd probably be one or the other. Who knows which one, right? But here's where we pick up in John chapter 10, verse 22. Then came the festival of dedication, the day of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter. And when Jesus was in the temple courts walking in the Solomon's colonnade, it's the outer chamber for the, where the Jews would kind of be allowed to mingle and walk around. Jews were there gathered around him saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? Oh, gosh, if you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Now, pause real quick. I want to remind you what we talked about last week just a few verses ago at the last festival that Jesus was at. I don't know if Jesus could say it more plainly. I am the shepherd. I am the light of the world. I am the water that never runs. Like, he has spoken it plainly, right? This is not something that he's been unclear about. But yet, they haven't heard the answer that they want, so they're pressing for more. So Jesus answered, I tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do, my, father, uh, my Father's name, testify about me. What I have been doing displays who I am. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. I wonder if the crowd remembered I am the good shepherd. It's been a few months, right? Festival of Tabernacles is October-ish, September-ish. This is now winter, right? Maybe they're like, didn't he say something about sheep before? I wonder. I wonder how many of them were like, I feel like he's mocking us. My, my sheep listen to my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Continuation of I am the good shepherd. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one shall be snatched out of my hand. Now, this is a big deal because they love to threaten that you could be thrown out of the temple. They love to threaten this, that they had the authority to cast people out of God's favor, all right? And so this is a slap in the face of like, your opinion doesn't really matter in this, uh, this particular thing. My father has given them to me and it is greater than all of you. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand and I and the father are one. Now, at that point, I think they should have said, oh, so you're like the Messiah, like, this is the plain answer they're looking for. It's just at the end of the critique. So I, are they going to hear it? And again, <laughs> I'd love to hear this. Again, uh, wait a second, again? So this isn't the first time. Remember, this is the second or third time already. Jesus, now pause. I have some regrets in my life. I carry some guilt. I absolutely do, and some shame. I want to meet the guy that picked up the stone that later believed in Jesus around the table talking about that guilt. You know what I'm talking about? Can you imagine being the guy that's like, yeah, yeah, my sins, put him on the cross, I get that. No, 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 you don't understand. I tried to stone him before he got there. Like, you don't understand, before he finished his work, I was the guy like chasing him down in the temple. Insane we just jump over it, right? But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? Sounds like Pilate, right? I don't find any guilt. 
We are not stoning you because of the good works. We are, we are, we are, but, but because of the blasphemy. Because you are a mere man and claim to be God. And this is where Jesus just loves to just kind of show his divinity, but also his ability to see their hearts and to know where they're at. Jesus does this more brilliantly than anyone ever because he is God. He answered and he said to them, it is not written in your law that I have said to you, I have said you are gods. And then pause right there. Now, when he quotes the Bible, what he's trying to get them to do is to see and to hear what they believe and they know is true, but they have not heard and they have not seen it yet. Case in point, all right? Psalm 86, 8 through 10 is what he's quoting. This is David, the lineage of the Messiah, talking about who and what and how God works and how he trusts him. This is just, look at this. Among the gods, there is none like you. Lord, no one, no deeds can compare with yours, and all the nations you have made will come and worship you before, uh, before you, Lord. They will bring glory to your name, for you are great and do mirac- uh, marvelous deeds. You alone are God. Now, here's what he's attaching. The conversation of many gods has been put to rest. There are many beings, and we can have that discussion layered, that have power, but there is only one God And he is defined by what? Great and marvelous deeds. He's like, haven't you read, you know, the thing that you claim that you know? Are you misinterpreting? This is what verse 35 said. If he called them gods, who's he talking about? If he, David, David, if he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be set aside, we can't throw this away. Remember? What about the one whom the Father sent apart as his very own, sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy? Because that I said, I am God's son. Do not believe me unless I what? Do the works of my Father. Slaps it all together. What do you think happens after that? (sighs) But if they do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand the Father that is in me and I am in him. And again, they tried to seize him and then he escaped their grasp. (laughs) Right? He's like, hey, just so you know, these works prove who I am and I just want to let you know that. And yes, by the way, yes, I can tell you, okay, I got to go, I got to go, I got to go, I got to (laughs) go. Right? Can you, can you hear that? Like, you can hear that? Like, oh, yeah, I just used... I mean, escape their grasp. I want to know. Is this Barry Sanders stuff? Like, did he pull a spin move? I mean, that's my mind. That's my mind in this. I'm like, you know, he's like, hey, listen here real quick. Real quick, got to finish my thought. Almost done. Here we go. I'm out. I mean, that, it, it, maybe the Bible's just more magic to me. But I'm just saying, like, that's what I read that. I feel the intensity of it. Right? Like, I just got juked by Jesus. This is incredible. That's a whole new meaning to Jesus, Duke. Whole new meaning. The power of it, though, right? What do they ask for? You remember the question? 
you just tell us plainly who you are? What does he end with? Father is in me, and I am in the Father. I'm the Messiah. They tried to kill him twice. <laughs> twice. Can you imagine that? I mean, that just would be the most ridiculous Thanksgiving ever, where everybody's head's just down, and they're just trying to, family, just trying to console each other. Like, you tried to kill the Son of God. I know. Literally tried to kill him. <laughs> Crazy. How did they get to this place? How did they miss this? How did, how did they miss this? How are they missing this? Have you thought about this? I want to give you three thoughts. Not everything. They were looking for the wrong miracle. They wanted miraculous signs and deeds. <clears throat> they weren't happy with the way Jesus was doing it. They didn't want some beggar off the street getting sight. They didn't want some guy who's lowered down, who's been a paraplegic forever to get his sins forgiven. They don't want people that are far outside of what they're expecting. They have a certain idea of what miraculous sign they are looking for, and they haven't seen it yet. And until they see that miracle, drawing a line in the sand. It's happening to the wrong people, and it's happening in the wrong places. Second is it's the wrong movement. Rome is the problem here. Where's the movement? <laughs> I mean, they have to be thinking, like, the Messiah is not coming in here and telling us we're doing a bad job. The Messiah is going to Rome and telling them they're doing a bad job. I don't get it. The Messiah isn't coming in here and telling us to love the marginalized. The Messiah is coming in here and telling us to magnify our influence, our power. Again, and it's happening in the wrong places to the wrong people. The last one I would say is he's the wrong Messiah altogether. <laughs> it's just the wrong guy. Earlier they said this, what good can come from Galilee? His hometown, his home region, nothing good comes from there. He's from the wrong town. He's from a broken marriage. It's whole now, but it didn't start out that way. And I guarantee you, the rumors have circulated. They have. They've gone around. They're like, they say it's Joseph's boy, but we all know. They say they got married, but a girl was, she was round. That's why they went to Egypt. You know that, right? I didn't want anybody to know. His approach was gentle to the sinner and hard to the proud. They didn't like that. They wanted those that had been righteous, upright to be lifted, and Jesus came in and did the opposite. He lifted those that were broken and hurting. 
And he humbled those that were prideful. Wrong person, wrong plan. I don't like it. I love what Jesus does at the end of the sashes. He does this Jesus juke, gets out of there, and he goes outside the city a couple miles to a specific place where he was baptized. A place that a man named John the Baptist had gone and preached a simple gospel message, prepare the way of the Lamb. The Savior of the world, the, the Lamb, the man that comes to take this away, the sins of the world is coming. And this is where Jesus, he went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days, and there he stayed. And many people came to him, and they said, through John never performed a sign. John never performed a sign. He just baptized and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And all that John said about is this man, though, is what? It's true. They didn't need a sign. They needed a Savior. And in that place, many people believed in Jesus. I want to give you a warning this morning as I watch the world transition. Transition. If we are not careful, we will miss the miracle, the movement, and our Messiah. If we are not careful, we will miss the miracle, his movement, and the Messiah. I want to ask you if you can see it. Can you see it? Because Jesus performs miracles in the margin and the marginalized. Can you see this? Though we would have him perform it in the limelight in front of everyone, that we would want a miracle that would transform our world to the largest degree in the largest chunk, that is not the way that Jesus worked, and it is not the way that he works today. He goes to the fringes. He goes to the marginalized, to the forgotten, and he whispers and does miraculous work in the hurting, dark places, in the forgotten places. And it has not changed in six months. And it will not change in six more. Can you see it? Can you see that Jesus is not concerned with the growth of any other kingdom than his own? Jesus is not concerned with the growth of any other kingdom than his own. Man, those Jews wanted their power to grow. Man, they wanted Rome to fall. And the only thing that Jesus kept saying was, my kingdom is not of this world. My biggest concern does not concern this planet and your things. My kingdom is of a bigger importance, a grander importance, of a larger desire. Can you see that? I will tell you, it's difficult with all these movements going on, right? Red and blue, masks, unmasked, black lives matter, blue lives matter. Movements would tell you Jesus is not as concerned with any other kingdom 
then his own. And all those people having those arguments over movements are invited into the same kingdom. Equal position under the equal truth and grace of the cross. And if we try and pretend it's a movement outside of that, we'll miss it. We'll miss it. Jesus came to be Savior, nothing else. There is a lightning, I mean, such a steady, undeterred focus on why Jesus came. One of my favorite things going on this last month is I've watched the series The Chosen from VidAngel. It's an amazing series and a depiction of Jesus picking some of his first disciples and followers and walking through their story. I don't want to ruin too much, but the conversion of Peter, where he's actually called to follow, is just a crazy set of events. And right after Peter is converted, I think they do just a brilliant job of showing how easy it would be to think the parlor tricks that would win a a certain group of people over just need to be repeated over and over again by Jesus for him to win influence. And so Peter comes in and he's like, hey, you know that trick you pulled with the fish back there where you multiply them? I say I go into town and I tell a bunch of people and we just do it again tomorrow. And that's what he goes to tell Jesus. And Jesus, you could just tell, he's like, oh, Peter, good try. You know, like, like that's not what I meant when I meant you to be fishers of men. I mean, it's close, but that's not, that's not what I meant. And, and it's such a brilliant thing that we can get so distracted by our plans for what Jesus needs to do. What Jesus needs to be in. What empires need to fall. Be changed. And his focus hasn't changed. It is the human heart. It's salvation for every single person on this planet that they would come to know his love and his grace and that they would see him as their savior. Not just a teacher. Just the guy that influenced years ago, but someone that has deep impact at an internal heart level. That was his number one concern. Nothing else. And you see it. I wanted to end with what I feel like I've been trying to get you to do for about a month, and I'm trying to even teach myself how to do it. I just want you to pray more and talk less. That's what I've been trying to do. Pray more and talk less. I'm not very good at that. I talk too much. <laughs> but I want to pray more and talk less. So I thought, why not just end with the Lord's Prayer? We just ask for us to be able to see what Jesus would want us to see. To be able to see the miracles and the ways that he's moving and the ways that he is saving. That we would see his miracles, his movement, and the Messiah that we need. And I don't know if there's a better way to do it than follow this little prayer. Jesus has asked how to pray. It's a good thing that we have it written down so we can see it. The answer is here. It's clear. All right? This is how you are to pray. Now, just to be clear, Jesus says, don't do it in front of large crowds for all to see. 
Don't scream it in the temple courts or speak with big words. Just say it simply. And he says, in fact, if you need to do it, go into a, a closed space, close the door, and do it where no one sees. That way the Father sees and knows your heart. It's a great way to kill your motives for any other reason than to look good or to feel better. It's just to interact with Jesus. So I encourage you. Even though I'm doing the exact opposite right now as I read it. I want you to take this. Put it into practice. Pray more, talk less. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, our sustenance. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. Power to me. Grow up in the church. When I read that, that makes my heart kind of jump. It gives me a little goosebumps. And I know that if I just meditated on each one of those lines and I let it be real, I know I would see things just a little differently. But I love how a different translation of the Bible can sometimes just pull it up a little bit. Just, just kind of open it up a little bit. So here's the message. Same verses. Eugene Peterson's heart of a pastor preaching to a Midwestern church when he makes this translation, trying to make it applicable, easy to, easy to read, easy to understand. This is what his words translated from that. Our Father in heaven, reveal who you are. Set the world right. Do what is best as above, so below. Keep us alive with the three square meals. Keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others. Keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. You are in charge, or you're in charge. You can do anything you want you are ablaze in beauty. Yes, yes, amen. Amen. Do you see it? Are you holding stones today? Are you trying to get a grasp on something? Or are you looking for miracles in the margins? Lifting the kingdom of God above all things. And remembering that Jesus is not your tool, but he's your savior. He's not your weapon. He's your Messiah. The whole world needs to know. Talk less.